thanks for listening. Join us now for Perry and Shauna Replay from 89.3 Moody Radio. Well, I've played hoops for most of my life. And one thing I've learned in all my years of hooping is the fourth quarter is the toughest. Everything's on the line in the fourth quarter. I remember my eighth grade coach, John Maxwell. He'd call a timeout in the fourth quarter and he'd put his thumb and pointing finger up with an inch between the two and he'd say, that much more gut. That's what it's going to take to finish and to win this thing. you got to go deeper. Mm-hmm. You think you've given it your all, but there's still more there you got to go for. I'm just into the fourth quarter of my life and it's game on. It's intense. It's time to finish it and finish it well. And I'll be honest, I've been wondering, how do I do it? Lord, I've never been here before. I've learned so much in life, but it doesn't seem like it's what I need right now. I don't know how to do this. I don't know if I have what it takes. Honestly, those are thoughts going through my head. Sally Lloyd-Jones says in Thoughts to Make Your Heart Sing, what does a rocket need to lift off and go powering into outer space? It needs a launch pad. Do you know what God's launch pad is in your life from which he can do anything? Sally, please tell me I need to know. This fourth quarter guy needs to know. Is it your great faith? Is it your perfect record? Is it incredible courage? No, it's our weakness. God's power comes to us in our littleness, Mm -hmm. in our brokenness, in our not knowing in our not being able. And when God's power meets our weakness, lift off. There you go. Jesus says, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. I don't know what quarter you're in. You may be in the first quarter of life. You're just tying up your shoelaces for the journey. You may be in the second quarter, and that's an exciting time. You know, between 20 and 40, it's an exciting time. You get lots of new opportunities. But in that period of time, at least for me, I hit the wall and learned that life can be really, really hard. Life can bring you to the end of yourself. You may be in the third quarter and there's still time to to make some serious course adjustments. Hmm. Whatever quarter you're in, take it from this fourth quarter guy. Pursue Jesus. Course correct. Develop your gifts and talents. Strive for excellence. Grow in wisdom. Fail forward. All these are needed in a life well-lived. But to finish well, I'm learning what I need most. It's weakness. Mm. And to give that weakness to Jesus. That's good. Because Jesus says, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So I think I can do this thing. Mm -hmm. I think I can finish well. You have what it takes, Perry. I do. I've got (laughs) so many weaknesses. And I just need to give them to Jesus. Sit right there, yeah. man. That is just you know it's so funny because we think that our weakness is the opposite of what is needed to get it done. Yeah. Instead of recognizing that that's actually like the prime place to be for God to come in and do amazing things. I was thinking about this yesterday, and it's like maybe God's saying, "Just start over." You know, all the stuff you have learned, it's good, but maybe you need to just not depend on any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Just depend on me. There you go. Yeah. So when you don't know the way ahead, when you don't have it figured out with you, when you don't have a clue what to do, just give it to Jesus. 
because he can work with that. Can I ask you a question, personal question? Me? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Do you ever feel like you just wish you were different than how you are? Yes. Yeah, I do too. I would like to be six, seven, two, twenty-five, and thirty years younger, and in the NBA. <laughs> six, seven. You'd have to watch your head going through doorways and stuff. I feel like that'd be a little inconvenient. And be able to dunk from the free throw line, have a oh, step, oh. have a step back jumper, have a euro step. Oh man, I'm getting chills. Just thinking about it. Just <laughs> dreaming about what could be. Okay, so mine's a little different from that. Okay. Um, Personality-wise, just a little bit about me. I don't like to upset the cart. I don't like to make waves. I don't like to come in with my great big opinion and tell everybody how things ought to go down. That's just not my personality. I like to enter in. I like to watch, listen, kind of get a beat for the room and kind of understand the the ethos of what's going on. And then I might, you know, timidly speak into what's going on a little bit, but I usually would rather just be seen and not heard because I'm fearful that if I say something, I'll look stupid. So I'm like, well, I'll just be quiet. And I'll just sit here. <laughs> well, that's how it, that's who I used to be. It's actually not who I am anymore. And God has done this work. God has changed me and he is changing me. I am not who I used to be. I'm not timid and fearful like I once would. Once would. Like I once would. <laughs> <laughs> You're a lot cooler now, too. <laughs> yeah, I'm a lot more fly in my old age. But no, I'm, I'm just not the person that I used to be. And God is doing this work in me. He's teaching me to be brave and to be courageous. And, and I'm actually learning that if I withhold, if I don't say what God is calling me to say, if I don't bring my opinion, my experience, my voice to this circle that something valuable will be missing. And that's just so different for me to think about conversations that way. It's a great change for you because you do have, you have natural leadership abilities. And so it's really good that God's doing this in your life now because it's going to help. Yeah. I'm so grateful that he's always changing us. And so that's an area that I can celebrate where I used to be one way and now I'm different. I used to be so anxious. I used to be riddled with anxiety. Y'all, it was so bad. And I'm not anymore. I don't feel anxious very often. And that's just radically different. But this is what God does in our life. And so there are still places where there's lies in my life and I'm not fully embracing the truth and I'm not living into the truth. And I want God to change those areas of my life. Every single part of me that does not line up with what is true, I want to be changed by God. And this is how he goes about it. Listen to this. This is Romans 12 too. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That's the NIV. And the New Living Translation says it this way. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Let me read that again. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Man, listen to that. Listen, if we get into God's word and we soak in it, and we think about it, and we chew on it, and we say, Lord, how does this apply? We will actually know the way forward. We will know God's will, not just generally, 
but specifically. This is this is powerful. And I think part of it too is in my own life, there are times I want something to change and I try to move into the change, change the behavior, change the behavior, change the behavior, but my thinking hasn't been transformed by the word of God. And so I'm just like, it's futile. I just keep banging my head on a wall trying to change my behavior, change my behavior, change my behavior, when what needs to change is the way that I think about it. Right. Yeah. And the Word of God does it. I like Seth Godin as a kind of a a wise guru, but he's not going to change my mind the way it needs to be changed that will work out into my behavior. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. God's Word is is living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. Yeah, and I think sometimes we think that our thought life is this neutral place where, you know, thoughts come into our mind and thoughts leave our mind and and it doesn't influence the way that we live or it doesn't influence the way that we show up in the world. It does. I mean, that's just straight up not true. The way that you think influences the way that you behave. So I I think... I think we need to be opening up the word of God. I think we need to listen to the truth. I think we need to let the truth like infiltrate our mind in such a way that the world is coming at us with lies and those thoughts are going to find their way into our brain. We need to be regularly feeding our brain the truth. We need to be in the word of God. Let's allow God to access our thinking. What if today you said, Holy Spirit, control my mind. I want you to con- to change the way that I think. I want you to control my mind. He will root out the lies and then we can build a life on what is true. You and I can can start thinking what is true and then we start behaving according to what is true. Let's let God transform us into a brand new person by changing the way that we think. Maybe you've wrecked your life. You're not the victim. You know it's your fault. The fallout may be a prison cell, an addiction, a blown up family, the loss of your dream, career, your ministry, your reputation. If that's you, here's what I've got for you. You get a do-over. You get a do-over. Even though there's no erasing the consequences, even though a lot of people hate you, you still get a do-over from Jesus Christ, if you want it. I know of a guy who blew up his family. He deserted them. He pursued the, it's all about me life. And one night he was sleeping in his, I guess it was his dream cabin up north. And he was awakened because his CPAP machine stopped working and the cabin was ablaze. The next thing he remembered was laying on a snowdrift as the cabin was completely consumed. He doesn't know how he got outside. Mm. God gave him a do-over and he took it. Wow. And his family is restored and he's owned his sin and he's made things right. And he's remarried to the, to the woman, his bride that he walked out on. Wow. He got a do-over and he took it. That is such a powerful story. I mean, the fact that he he didn't think himself too far gone that, you know, this, you know, near-death experience, had he not woken up, right? Like this near-death experience caused him to to own his stuff. That's mm-hmm. huge. That takes such courage. That's bravery right there. I love that. But the fact that the people he had hurt 
the stuff that he had blown up, that they were able in their in their tenderness and in their injury and in their you know and what had been done to them to be able to open up their hearts to him again is pretty amazing as well. I understand that on that night he called, I think three of his family members, and these were people he had really hurt deeply, and they had said. You know, they put boundaries and said, "Sure, probably necessarily so." You're not going to be in my life. Mm-hmm. He called those three people who had set those boundaries. They came up to that cabin wow. that night, drove through the night to him, and so it. This is what it took for him to realize he needed to wake up. Mm-hmm. And so, I think he he probably did believe he was too far gone, but he had to see that. Hmm. Maybe God's given me another chance. Here's the thing. If you think you're too far gone, what have you got to lose? Right. Exactly. Seriously, if that's where you are, if you feel like I've blown it too bad and there's no way the people that I love and the people that I've hurt would open up their hearts to me again, what do you have to lose by owning your crap mm-hmm. and asking? Right. So so if you, if you need a do-over, just ask for it. It may not, you know, tie up nice and neatly like this story. Right. We can't determine that. We can't determine how other people are going to respond. Because there are consequences. You know, I there there are consequences from my sin that will never change. They'll be fixed on the other side. But I'm living a new life, and that's what the Lord offers you. Just surrender, submit to Jesus, who works everything for good. Maybe especially our sins. So if you want that do-over, just ask. Say, Jesus, I own what I've done. It's my fault. It's not their fault. It's my fault. I blew it. I messed up. Jesus, wash me clean. And if you talk to God in that way, here's God's promise for you right now. Isaiah 42, 16. I will lead you in ways you have not known. Along unfamiliar paths, I will guide you. I will turn your darkness into light and make the rough places smooth. These are the things I will do. I will not forsake you. Isaiah 42, 16. We are... As we follow Jesus, we're called to be in meaningful relationship with other people. And like relationship, like honest relationship with other people. I hope you've got some folks. I know, Perry, you've said that there was a friend that said to you once, Perry, if we were the last two guys on earth, something like that, I'd want to be back to back with you. Yeah. Which I don't know what you're trying to fight off if y'all are the last two guys on earth. Well, the last two good guys. Oh, the last two good guys. That makes sense. Yep. Yep. But we need people like that who are like our person who are willing to be back to back with us in the battle. And I think that those people, at least in my life, those people are people who call me out on my stuff. And that's, I mean, that's a dicey place to go, but the people who really, really love me well do that for me. I remember when uh, Bryn was a baby, she's my oldest. And so I'm new at this whole parenting thing and she was in the stroller. She was old enough to talk and, whine and complain at me and let me know she did not want to be in the stroller while we were at the mall. And we were with my friend Linda, who lives in Southern California. And, you know, I had told Bryn like over and over again, you're not getting out of the stroller. No, you know, sit back down, stay put. You're staying in the stroller. And I had said it several times, but 
Linda and I were in such great conversation and we were really clicking with each other and just having this deep, honest conversation and Bryn's whining, complaining, whining, complaining. I reach in the stroller, I unbuckle her and I pull her out and I set her next to the stroller. And all the while I never took my eyes off Linda and I'm talking with her and we're having the conversation and all of a sudden Linda interrupts me. She goes, hang on, hang on. Why did you do that? I don't get that. And I said, why did I do what? And she goes, why did you just take her out of the stroller? We've been here for like an hour and you've told her the entire time she's not getting out of the stroller and you just took her out of the stroller. Why'd you do that? And in that moment, like my heart started racing and I felt the need to defend myself. And I, you know, I felt embarrassed and started to get all red and hot and all those things. But I am so grateful that she did that because that was one of those moments that shaped my parenting moving forward Mm -hmm. that I recognized I need to keep my word with my kids when I tell them this is what it's going to be. It needs to be that. And, you know, four kids later, that was one of the pillars of how I parented, you know, was to be true to your word. If you say it, mean it don't, or don't even say it. Don't even bother, you know. So I'm grateful for friends like Linda who are willing to call me out. And that was a big deal. It really was a big deal. But how much more so is it a big deal when it comes to areas of our faith? Do you have friends who will call you out when who you say you are and what you say you believe doesn't line up with the way that you're living your life? There is a story in scripture where, let me tell you, it went down. It was between Paul and Peter. Listen to this. So Paul wrote this letter to the Galatians, and in his letter, he's talking about Peter. Now, just a quick little backstory. Peter's this Jew who's following Jewish law, and he was called by God to reach Jews with the good news that Jesus was the Messiah. And he was killing it. I mean, we could go on and on about the influence of Peter, but he had this moment that Paul called him out on. And this is how it went down, Galatians 2.11. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. This is Paul talking. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you're a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow follow Jewish customs? Called out right there, legit. So what's going down is... Peter's acting one way, and then this certain group of people show up, and he starts acting a totally different way because he's afraid of them. And not only was he acting differently, but the people who were following him saw the way that he was acting, and then they started acting like him. So he was leading other people into hypocrisy as well. So, he's, yeah, Paul just calls him out on it, honestly. He said, I think that what Paul was, what was at the heart of this for Paul was, He was so passionate about making sure that nothing diluted the true gospel. He wanted to make sure that they knew that the gospel was not about following rules. It was about being justified through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And I think that's why he got, he he had the courage to, to call Peter out on this. Absolutely. Because the gospel completely levels the playing field in the, in the first century, the Jewish people just generally, they hated anybody who wasn't a Jew and Mm. they felt like they were superior and they were better. Yes, they were God's chosen, but God never meant them to take that as we're better than other people. 
He meant for them to be a blessing to other people, and they had totally lost that. And so they were thinking, we're better. And, and the gospel you know, of Jesus came along and said, yeah, you know, you're a sinner Jew. You're a sinner Gentile. There's no difference, mm-hmm. and you both need Jesus. And so Peter is not acting in line with the gospel because he's falling back into that Jewish mindset right. of, I'm better than you. Yeah, and Paul calls him Called out, him out. He's a good brother, honestly. You know what? I think Paul was really good at calling people out. Yeah, I mean, he was a, he was a, oh, how do you, I mean, he's, he was zealous. Look at his life before he was following Jesus and understood that, Jesus, you know, he had an encounter with Jesus, right? But prior to that, he was religious, he was zealous, and he was going for it 100%, and then he had this encounter with Jesus, and he went for it 100%. Yeah. Like, that's just who God created. His personality him. didn't change. Right, yeah. He was a, um, oh man, I can't think of the phrase that I'm looking for, but there's a phrase that says just like, Bulldog? Yeah, I guess. He was a bulldog. He went for it and he just, no bones about it. Like he just really called out what he saw and said it like it was. And I really believe that it was, it was love and it was for the good that he called out Peter in this circumstance. But here's some things that surfaced for me out of this story. I wonder for myself, like, does my behavior line up with God's word? Are there places where as I live my life and people watch my life, it gives them a mixed message about the gospel? or it's confusing in any way. I don't want that. Is your life in alignment with the gospel? If someone followed your lead, would you be leading them to the feet of Jesus? Would you be leading them into the true gospel understanding of of grace and justification through Jesus Christ alone, alone? And how would you respond? I think this is the real question for you and me today. We need to have good people around us who are willing to call us out, but when they do, how are we gonna respond? when someone calls you out. If you need some hope, if your life has crashed and burned, there is redemption. I love redemption stories. Anne White is with us. She's an internationally known author, speaker, and passionate Bible teacher. She founded her global ministry, Courage for Life, in 2014 out of a calling to share with others how God and his word brought restoration to her life and her marriage. CourageToLife.org, it's an amazing discipleship ministry. And Anne has just recently partnered with Tyndale Publishers to create two incredible tools to equip us to lead courageous lives. The Courage for Life Study Bible for Women and the Courage for Life Study Bible for Men, and it comes out October 3rd. Can't wait, Anne, for these resources to come out. Uh, Thank you for having me this morning. It's great to be here. All right, so share with us. We we love to hear stories, the story, the Jesus story. Everybody's got a Jesus story who follows Jesus, and we'd we'd love to hear yours. Well, thank you for asking. I um, was saved when I was 19 years old, but never discipled. Uh, mm-hmm. I had a dear friend of mine that I was working with that uh, asked me the the famous question, you know, if you died today, do you know that you'd go to heaven? And to be honest, I had grown up in church as a small child, but I'd never made the personal decision to follow Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And so that very day, I made that decision and I asked Jesus into my life. And I I knew that 
things changed. You know, I could feel a difference inside. I could feel the Holy Spirit. Uh, at 19, I really didn't understand it. And I didn't have anyone to lead me down that road. I just had someone to ask me that particular question. So I began, you know, as I was doing already, going to church on Sunday mornings, taking my Bible with me. But when I got back home, it would sit back on the shelf because I had no clue in my mind that I could understand it, even mm -hmm. if I read it. So I really kind of just tracked for the next 20 years of my life in that pattern. Now, I did start getting a little more involved in church and choir and so forth, which is wonderful. The fellowship was great. Attended a few topical Bible studies, but never learned to study God's word and never really drew closer to the Lord in that personal relationship with him. And it wasn't until I was actually in my 40s that uh, I hit kind of a rough spot in my life. Uh, I had teenagers and was struggling with one of them pretty good. Good. No, we were. And, um, and things were tough. Mm -hmm. And it was at that point, I really just turned to my Bible. I turned to the Lord and began to pray and began to be drawn to his word. Mm -hmm. And I had a friend recommend that I attend a K. Arthur precept Bible study, which is an in-depth study of God's word. So I really sat under Kay's teaching for about 10 years as she taught through the prophets and through some of the New Testament books of the Bible. And so how did the word make you come to life. You know, the word is living and active. Maybe one way that you saw your life come alive through the word. Gosh, I can tell you many ways, but I began to, um, I began to have hope. I began to see in my life, um, and then I would say hope is the is probably the biggest term, but I began to be able to trust the Lord. You know, I walked in a fear-based faith is mm -hmm. what I like to say for many, many years. Um, I came out of my childhood, which very few of us come out of childhood without some scars. Mm -hmm. And I came out of my childhood with some scars in my teenage years. And uh, I carried those like baggage through my life. And as I began drawing closer to the Lord in my early 40s, um, the pieces of the puzzle began to come into place as far as how I could trust the Lord and how I could begin to walk by faith mm -hmm. and not by fear. See that your ministry is called Courage for Life. The Bibles themselves are called Courage for Life. What is it about courage that is such a value for you? How did that show up in such a way that you're passionate about passing on courage to others? Oh, Shauna, that's such a great question because uh, we mentioned before that it was many years before I got discipled. And once I began to learn how to study God's word for myself and um, through these Bible study programs and so forth, I became, I just hungered and thirsted for God's word, but then I began teaching it to others. And so I was a Bible teacher for many years, for about 10 years. And uh, about 10 years ago, I really hit rock bottom. And what I realized is, yes, I was drawing closer to the Lord, but I was still carrying around excess baggage mm -hmm. that was still keeping me from living, you know, a courageous faith. And so I got down on my knees. I was struggling with my family I was struggling in my marriage, um, and I wasn't telling anyone. I was walking through the doors of church, uh, pretending that everything was great, teaching two Bible studies on Sunday 
mornings, Wednesday nights, and just really kind of focusing on that. But I wasn't being honest Hmm. um, about what was truly going on in my life. I looked like I had it all together, but I was really falling apart. And so I just got down on my knees and I told the Lord once and for all, God, I can't do this. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I don't know where to turn uh, to to help heal the brokenness that's that's inside of me uh, and that is filtering out into my family. And God just really, I think at that point in time, wanted me to trust him. So I really just put my yes on the table. I said, okay, Lord, you tell me what steps to take. I'll take it. And there began the journey of healing. I went into counseling um, and my first book, Courage for Life, um, really was because I had the courage to go from you know, that life of pretending to a life of full transparency and reality and and being able to fully embrace the life that God had for me. I mean, he really want, I, he put me into ministry. He told me to birth a nonprofit and I just couldn't get it off my heart. And it kind of went from there. And over the last 10 years of this ministry, I, I've just been shocked by putting my Yes, on the table. Uh, he took me through some incredible projects that we've had through the years and even into prison ministry, creating the first female voiced audio Bible and now to study Bibles. And it's just that passion for helping people grow closer to the Lord and deal with whatever is keeping them bound mm-hmm. from a full free relationship with God. Mm-hmm. It's important for me to help them break those barriers down. It's so good. I love what you said about vulnerability because it takes a great deal of courage to be honest about the stuff that's behind the curtain. But that is the place. I mean, that that's throwing the door wide open for God to come and do God-sized things when we have the courage to be vulnerable with him. And it really does lead us into intimacy with him as well. absolutely does. And I think that's why God really put that passion on my heart for Courage for Life, not only as a discipleship ministry, but we really focus on the spiritual health and emotional health of Mm -hmm. those we work with. Um, We work with a lot of people throughout the United States that are incarcerated, uh, that are struggling with past trauma and pain in their life. And so as I went through the healing process about 10 years ago, God placed seven practical steps in my life that I took to go to a more courageous faith with him. And those steps have become the foundation of our ministry. And they're woven throughout this Bible and they surround the word courage. There's a step for every letter in the word courage. And so it's just exciting to see people, whether they're incarcerated, whether they're sitting in a church pew and they're still struggling, to see them be set free to embrace the God-given life that God, God wants for them. If you're sitting in a prison cell right now, or, you know, literally or metaphorically, lean in right now. And I know you have a heart for, for inmates, for prison ministry. There's just so much hurt, you know, that leads to a person being in prison. There's so much trauma and take us to a story that just shows the heart of Jesus for prisoners and, and what, what he's done through your ministry for a prisoner. Perry, there's so many stories that we run across. We work with, um, 
prisons and facilities and men's and women's facilities throughout the United States. But there is one in particular that really touched my life and kind of um, as we were beginning to start into the prison ministry about seven years ago, I met a gal in Missouri at a women's facility and I began to really truly realize how God was opening the doors for us to reach into the prison and reach these women for God's love and God's glory. So her name is Shelby. And uh, I actually have a video of Shelby's testimony on our YouTube channel at Courage for Life. Mm. And precious young lady, uh, she's in for 30 years. Mm. She's probably halfway through her sentence. She uh, is now probably in her early 40s and uh, probably still has a a bit of time left. But when she went in, what Shelby told me is that she felt like when she was arrested, God was punishing her, Mm. that this was punishment for the things that she had done and the hurt that she had caused other people. But she realized, in turn, God was truly rescuing her because Mm. when he brought her into Chillicothe, her life began to change and he began to open her eyes to the truth that he could and would use her as a disciple of Christ. And so Shelby became a believer. Shelby's life has completely changed. Um, That hurt and pain that she grew up with as a child has turned into a passion for ministering to the other women inside. And prayerfully, as she comes out, she hopes to minister to women outside the prison system to help keep them from going in. Shelby's not a unique story. The women that we hear in the testimonies, and we have quite a number of testimonies from our inmates on our YouTube channel, and you can reach that through our website or through there, through our YouTube. But you see this, the pattern of pain in childhood. And so, Many of the women and the men that we work with have had trauma that they've experienced in their childhood, and it has caused them to turn to crime, to turn to drugs, and that's usually where it starts. It starts with trying to mask that pain, Mm -hmm. trying to let the alcohol and the drugs and the the lifestyle um, take the hurt away. Of course, they find that doesn't happen, and it just perpetuates itself until they end up behind bars for either drugs, prostitution, you know, petty theft, uh, or something worse. So most of the the people that we work with are desperate for God's hope and healing. They're desperate for their lives to change, and we know that there's really only one person who can truly change their lives, and that's Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening to Perry and Shauna Replay. To learn more, text us at 800-968-8930. That's 800-968-8930.